Hey there, baseball fans. Brandon Hall here in North Carolina with Prep Baseball Report here on the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina podcast. Matt Payne's joining me as always. Matt, a really exciting week. Already started, moving ahead. We're not in front of our computers all the time. It's a great day to be alive. What's going on? And we got good weather for it, too. So, yeah, I'll, so I'll you don't jinx weather. <laughs> We'll be okay. Yeah, I, I say that knowing it's going to rain. We're, as, we're, as we're taping this on Wednesday, we're going to post on Thursday. I think it's going to rain Thursday throughout a lot of the state. We'll see what happens on Friday. But I, I actually went to two games on Tuesday, and I, I was layered up a little bit. I wore one of our, our short sleeve hoodies, but I had a long sleeve underneath. And during that first game, I was freaking baking. Yeah, it was almost 80 degrees. So I, I'm so I'm so used to freezing on those nights where I'm trying to cover two games. I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah, but when that sun goes down, it gets chilly. You need the, you need the layers. And it, it, it's it's been neat. You know, one of the things I miss is is that sunset and seeing these fields. I wish the fields obviously had higher lights. Um, but you know, things that we we would do in practices all the time and talk about balls in the air when they get above the lights. We've got to point it out. Our outfielders got to stay with it. You know, that coaching aspect kicks into me. As soon as balls start getting above those lights last night, you know, I, I'm, I'm sitting there with just a group of JV players sitting behind me, and I'm like, hey, guys, you know, we got to point that ball out. I know you think that he's he's not playing that ball very well. He can't see it. You know, and then they, they may may or may not have played in that twilight, but guys strong enough to hit the ball in that, that high to get up above the lights yet. But, you know, things like that kind of click in instantly as we're back out attending these games. Yeah, definitely. You got low lights in high school in that time of year, and um, it'll help when the time changes and and all that. But uh, definitely, definitely mistakes early in the year at these games we're going to. Yeah, a couple of them, a couple of them have been uh, been sloppy. A couple of them have been really good. Um, you know, I think it's still. We I joked with with Sammy Esposito, our our director in South Carolina. Um, you know, they start practice one to two weeks earlier than North Carolina, and we start games one to two weeks earlier than they do. You know, yep. and I, I joked with us, we don't we don't need practice in North Carolina. We don't need bullpens. Let's just go. Let's <laughs> tee it up. Let's play, baby. Let's play. You know, and he's <laughs> he's laughing and, and you see the results of that. You see some some things happen that well, we're not gonna see happen in May. And if we do see happen in May, it's probably because it's just not a very good team. Um, but pitchers, you know, just deep into counts that they really shouldn't be deep into, trying to remember how to figure out how to wipe guys out and, and get guys out of the box. But you know, if they played one scrimmage, these guys may have thrown two, in, two innings and faced seven hitters, and now it's now it's go time. So uh, hopefully that stuff continues to get cleaned up. What have you seen on your end, uh, being out briefly? Uh, seen some good arms. Uh, you can tell the hitters don't have a lot of at bats under their belt, or uh, either they were uh, more comfortable in the scrimmage games because they don't count, and you know they get nervous game one and game two, or uh, you know they just just need reps and, and at bats and you know those those tend to heat up you know spring break time through the end of the year yeah and, it, and we're trying to evaluate guys and it's it's not an exact science as we as we say all the time but it is something we have taken into account when we are doing these evaluations there are going to be velocity fluctuations guys may be coming out of a velocity program now they're throwing on a mound they're on a normal routine they may see a dip in velocity early there may be changes in weather um, different types of mound you're throwing on because you're not throwing on the, the turf constant slope. Um, you know, hitters, they may be dialed up for, for off that hack attack, and now they're having to, you know, decide am I sitting hard, am I sitting soft, and kind of get caught in between. So we see these things, and, and you're trying to evaluate, but, you know, realistically, we're getting a very small glimpse, a very small snapshot 
And we're going to try to go back in and see as many different people as we can again and again and again. But the more we see guys, the more we see high-level prospects, the more we see guys have a chance to play in college, the better the reports become, the better our our idea of where they fit becomes. Yeah, it helps seeing those guys in games because you realize who's the workout guy and who's a gamer. Yeah. And uh, who can take their their tool set to the game. And we're going to jump into some of the games we've seen and some of the players that have kind of stood out. And one player's name come, immediately jumps to mind when you said that. So I'll try to jot it down and remember as we get to that part of, of the show. But let's start with, you know, some of the preseason stuff. So before we got really rolling on Monday, um, you did a great job pumping out a bunch of content to the website, um, you know, talking about, you know, some of the hitters to watch, some of the arms to watch, uh, base runners, defensive, you know, just a bunch of different names that, you know, if you're a high school baseball connoisseur, you probably need to take note of this year. And uh, the area I kind of want to concentrate on, because all those articles are on the website, prepbaseballreport.com, go to North Carolina, go to news. They're all right there. But the kind of the thing I want to concentrate on is our, our uncommitted 2023 team. So it's something that you started doing, I think, last year. But taking that senior class and taking the uncommitted guys and building kind of a, a good team of – that we could go compete with if we wanted to. And um, what kind of stood out to you as you were, as you were building that team just in general with the, the athleticism that was available? Definitely some talented uncommitted guys. Uh, one thing that jumped out is, is there's uh there's two catchers on that list that are uh, two uncommitted guys that have played well in front of us, not just worked out in front of us. Um, and catching is something that you usually don't, don't see available. Um, you know, this time of year. Uh, Yeah. And I think the state of North Carolina, and we're going to get into some of the other reasons, but I think we've been very heavy catching wise the last five years. You really go back and dive into some of those numbers and the number of catchers we've had go on to play college baseball. And and what it's done is that top one to 3%, those guys are still getting their shot at at power fives, top 5% guys because it hasn't quite been overloaded there. It's that next tier down, you know, those guys that would be just outside of, of a power five all the way down into that fringy D one guy. Those are the guys we've really been overloaded. So the division twos have, have really gotten the luxury of getting some really good catchers bounced down to them. Um, but then you look at guys this year, you know, Seth Lumpkin, uh, Luke Wolf, Bryce Hooker, you know, three different types of catchers, all with attributes that you look at and go, I mean, that guy's got a chance immediately to step on a campus and help somebody because he can do X. You know, Bryce is probably a little bit more offensive, a little bit more physical. Luke's a little bit more the leader, really good receiver, can catch and throw. Um, you know, and Seth is a catch and throw guy as well, but kind of a versatile guy too uh, with good athleticism in the frame. Yeah, uh, seen Hooker last year in uh, in High Point at the border battle, and there was some good arms there from the East Coast and. He did a good job handling them, and he had you know quality at bats against good arms. And you know, I, I really thought he would be committed in the fall there. And you know, here we are. He has a chance to have a good spring, and uh, maybe he's searching for one or two places he wants to be at. There's a couple middle infielders that stood out for me: um, Evan Cecil, who we saw at the USA Prime Scout Day, um, 2023. Obviously, 5'10", 160, uh, moved around with athleticism, uh, fairly easy ball to barrel ability. You know, he's not, not going to be a guy that's going to run that flashy 60. He's not going to be a guy that's going to put up that flashy exit below. But you talked a little bit about guys that are workout guys versus game guys. I think his tools play high in game. 
You know, they, he doesn't. None of the tools take a step back when he gets in the game. He plays with quickness. He plays with an attitude. He plays with effort. He plays with pace. Um, Evan and the other one um, for me was uh, Connor Marin, who's listed as a corner infielder. But Connor's a guy we've seen at multiple of our showcases from New Hanover High School. And I think honestly, with Connor, you know, he's in a situation where he's been playing with some high level dudes, and it's he's had to bounce around a little bit. When he gets to college, wherever he lands. He's going to thrive in the fall because he's had that ability to play multiple positions, and he's a baseball player. We could call him a third baseman, call him a shortstop. What he is, he's a baseball player. We could probably suit him up and have him catch, even though if he's never probably done it, and he would be fine. He, he would he would figure it out. He's just that guy. Yeah, he's uh, he's been fun to watch. And like you said, he plays at New Hanover. They win every year, and I think there's something to be said for those guys that that know how to win and are a part of a winning culture. Carter Jones was, or I'm sorry, Carter Johnson out of uh, South Johnson was another name that stood out. Six three one ninety. 190 uh, attended our PBR uh, East preseason East all state preseason all state East. They get the name right. Um, but he's a guy that, and, and you can speak on this a little bit. You know, you take guys that are, that are maybe grew tall pretty quickly and they're still trying to get their man strength and their weight under control. Um, but the swing's pretty simple. There's ball-to-bat ability and there's strength when he gets to connection. How does that guy have a chance to progress over the next three years? I mean, you touched on it right there with the body awareness. I think when guys guys grow like that and they have that length, you know, it takes an adjustment to hit with longer arms or, you know, to get your coordination back under. And um, I think those guys with those frames, though, they, they add weight so easily. And sometimes it's unnoticeable because they have so much length. But, you know, they you can really project out on that strength there and, and maybe some pop in the future. And he's that guy. And there's a couple of them on this list where you're you're weighing the risk-reward of taking now versus what I'm going to get in the future because the ceiling is pretty high. You know, the floor kind of is what he is. Maybe he doesn't get better. and You roll that dice. But the ceiling for a guy like that, if he really puts it together and the body really transforms – you know, he's got a chance to play at the professional level. I think there's enough quickness. I'm not saying he's going to get there, but I'm saying that that we've seen it happen with those types of guys. Yeah, those frames and and a lot easier to project, and I think they have, have so much more room for growth. And, you know, they can be good now, but, you know, so much to grow and get better. Let's turn and concentrate on some of the pitchers that are still available. The first one, uh, and I'm going to get your take on him, is Travis Rhodes, uh, left-handed pitcher out of Ledford. I know we've talked about Travis in the past. Um, I know he he may have some options available to him right now. I thought that he was getting pretty close when he came to our preseason All-State West um, and, and threw the ball pretty freaking good there. But he's a guy, too, that he may be weighing out some options of schools saying, hey, if you can hang out, you know, we just need to see a little bit more. And now that we're past March 1st, um, you know, those schools are allowed to be back on the road. They may see something out of him. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of guys out tonight. And uh, you don't see left-handers very often that are un- uncommitted with, with arm strength like he does. And, um, you know, I know there's been some issues with, with his strike throwing ability in the past. Uh, it looks like it's better this spring. And, um, you know, I think a lot of guys will – will take more chances on a left-hander with some velocity versus maybe a right-hander with velo that, that scatters the ball. Yeah. And I think some of that, some of the, the command stuff for him was he grew and his arm speed improved. 
you know, so I don't care who you are. Let's let's say you're a free throw shooter and you're a world class free throw shooter. Well, if your hand grows two inches and your body grows six inches, and now your your stroke is is faster, you know, because you've got a little bit more twitch, you've got more strength. It's going to take you some time to dial back in to become that world class free throw shooter. I think you know, it's just for him that velocity jump was so so significant and so instant that getting it kind of dialed back into where he wants to be has taken, you know, a season, which doesn't seem like it's all that long a period of time. But when you're in the summer of your going into your senior year, and that's when all this stuff started kind of happening, and now you're into the the spring of your senior year, well, that's a fairly big recruiting period for the seniors. And, you know, I, I think it can freak some guys out. And I think it can, you know, speed the process up in their mind of, oh, my gosh, is this going to happen? You know, I, and I, we tell guys all the time, there's still time. There's still a bunch of guys are going to be, committed this week, next week, the week after, all the way, you know, through the high school season. There's a lot of college coaches right now that, uh, you know, they'll be getting rid of some guys they brought in here pretty soon, so they'll have more roster spots to fill. Well, and they're getting a really good feel for who they are right now, too. I mean, the fall gives them a glimpse, and you should have a pretty good idea when, when you get out of the fall, but the lights go on for real, baby. I mean, that, that, that can change the deal on some guys. There's some guys that are really comfortable in the fall when there's you know, maybe a hot dog or a chocolate sundae on, on the line. But when we start getting into live fire and there's actual ammo being being tossed around and, you know, winning matters, championships matter, you know, coaches start feeling, hey, I got to pay a mortgage. You need to perform or we're going to find somebody else who can. And that pressure those guys don't deal with, we're going to move to the next guy. And so now that may become available. And I, I think there's going to be, um, you know, obviously we've seen some guys that we saw in the preseason All-State come off the board in the last week or so. There's going to be more of that type of action now as we're hitting March 1st, and these guys are allowed back on the road at Division One level and able to see see guys in full action. Yeah, we'll, we'll be running into those guys out. And I think, you know, when they can first get out and then spring break time, you, you see them out pretty heavy yeah. uh, looking to get some things done. Let's, let's transfer that conversation into, you know, continuing those guys trying to fill their rosters. Um, you know, one of the things that happened, uh, I guess, in 2020, I'm trying to do my math, it was three years ago because uh, Little Man's got his birthday tomorrow, which is Thursday as we're shooting, and COVID hit for us. We were actually in the hospital and, and um, going through a delivery, and they came in and basically strapped the mask on us. They shut the hospital down. So I remember that was the start of COVID in North Carolina for me was right when right when he showed up. And, and so now we're three years past that. Those initial COVID classes, because the NCAA gave all those college players another year, there was a significant hit on the numbers of players being recruited from our, our detail from North Carolina. We could see the numbers. Has COVID relaxed the recruiting? Are we back to normal a little bit, do you think, from COVID? Without even getting into other things, just starting on COVID. I think we're back to normal. I mean, I think I think we're we're back on that that path, and rosters are getting back to normal, and um, it's you know not like it was right before COVID, but it's like it was you know when when we were playing and coaching. Yeah, yeah, and and the numbers uh, speak to that, you know. So in North Carolina, you know, I think I've been I've been here for six years, right in that area, um, in terms of with PBR, and so we've been able to track each of those senior classes. And the pre-COVID classes, we were anywhere from 425 to 475 players 
committed out of every class. And that's what we tracked. Now, having gone through all the, the high school previews, there are players we're missing in that. There, there are some guys that commit to, you know, a local junior college or, or we just we just missed some commitments here and there. We don't hear about them. So, but the ones we tracked, we were that 425 to 475. When they gave that extra year to the COVID guys, that number dipped almost by 100 players. You know, we were at 315, 320, um, and we kind of stood there for a year to two years, and then it started to come back. And based on – and the other thing that we've always been able to do, even in COVID, the number of players that commit prior to November is about 50% in North Carolina to the total number of players that will commit. That number's been true, and it's just the way it works out. It's the way people work. That number's been true for six years, <clears throat> seven years. Um, and we were back to that, I think, 230 was the number of players that had committed North Carolina as we got to the early signing period in November. You know, so I, it looks like the numbers are spelling that out. So as we continue to look at what's going on with the recruiting, why why do we still have a Joshua Herbert? A, he's a right-handed hitting outfielder, but he's got a plus tool. He can really run. Why is he still on the board? And obviously, individually, there may be tons of reasons, but guys like that, guys like a Travis Rhodes, guys like a, uh, a Luke Wolf or a Bryce Hooker, why are those guys still on the board right now? I mean, I think obviously the transfer portal's back, but you know, we were talking about early when we were coming through, it was like that then. I mean, I remember showing up to campus every fall and, you know, you had to worry about, you know, who coaches brought in. It'd be a guy from FIU, a guy from FAU. So that was there. But then when you started having to set a year and uh you started seeing more and more early commitments, I think maybe people felt like you were committing more. Those kids would show up on campus for a fall. They would get cut and then trickle back down. I think now they're just – they're not committing. Um, I think at that time early on, ju- junior college ball maybe had a better rap at times than what it does now. Even though I know we love it, more kids should do it. Uh, I think more kids now hunt four years where back then, you know, take a guy like a Herbert who has some pro tools and be like, hey, I'm going to go there and I'm going to prove it to you. Right. And – um you know, the rosters, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's changed it some, but uh, I don't think it's anything that we haven't seen before. I, I see a little bit of that. And, and I, I completely agree with what you're saying. I, I think the transfer portal though, has changed the way recruiting coordinators go about their job. You know, for us, when we were recruiting coordinators, the transfer portal wasn't there, especially for you. I had it. I, I had, didn't have the transfer portal prior, but I had the, the free will of transfers. There was no portal. Yeah. We could just go get them. Um, but as, as that rule came where guys had to sit, as we evaluated our roster in the spring, when we missed on a guy or when we had a pro guy pop up, we have a junior, all of a sudden we weren't planning to lose him and we're looking at it and we're probably going to lose him. He's going to sign a pro contract. We went to a junior college. We had to go get an older player. We had to have a guy who's going to fill in because we're planning on that junior to play as a senior for us to go get a freshman in the spring of a senior year, that's a big stretch because that gap, you're talking about just, just the age gap, 22 year old to 17 year old. Um, so we, we went heavy with the junior college guys and it, it trickled even into the fall. We're looking to fill holes. We're looking to, for quick fixes. We're going to try to lengthen our bullpen with power arms, but maybe not guys that are going to be able to sustain velocity. You know, I, I gotta, I can find that guy at the junior college. I think now programs are still utilizing the junior colleges in that way, but I think they're utilizing the the portal 
as much as anything else for very quick turnarounds. You look at Texas A&M last year, hammered the portal. And it took them a while to mesh, but they had a ton of talent. They just were from all over the place and with a new coaching staff. And then they get to Omaha. Um, you know, talent wins, talent plays. And, and I, you know, I love these guys that, that are, you know, give me, give me the guy that works hard and give me the, give me the guy that has the most talent. I'll, I'll can, we'll get him to work. Okay. If I've got the guy with the most talent and he works the hardest, we're going to be really good, but talent plays. And so how quickly can I find the most talented guy? The transfer portal gives me that opportunity. It also gives me the opportunity to match up stats. If you hit 260 at Kansas, you're probably a 260 hitter at the Division One level. If you hit 310 at Manhattan and you transfer to Clemson, you may not hit 310, but you're probably going to hit in that 280 or above range. You're probably, you know, power numbers tend to translate and, and move, you know, and so I think coaches have seen that and been able to dial in on that. Yeah, I mean, if you, you perform at mid-majors, you know, you'll likely have opportunities to – to transfer to a power five school at the end of the year. Uh, one thing I think you got to look at as a high school kid coming out of you go to that power five school and, and you hit 120, that doesn't mean you can always transfer back down to a mid major. Right. You know, and you know, they can look at it and they can get a guy somewhere else. And, you know, like you said, you gotta, you gotta perform and you gotta have talent. And um, I think they are recruiting four years, maybe more so than, than junior colleges uh, past years. You know, the other thing that happens is these, these guys go out and play in the summer or they played on teams, um, whether it be the Dirt Bags or the Panthers or C35 or USA Prime or On Deck or whoever. There's teammates that, that are on other teams. And what happened, the guy just doesn't show up in the portal. You know, I think that's a misconception as guys are going through the recruiting process. You know, I'm just going to go in the portal and then I'm a good player. And I'm gonna, most of the time, the guys that get out of the portal – know where they're going before they get in the portal. They've already yeah, talked to their buddy, and their buddy's already talked to a coach. And the coach can't say, yes, we want him. Here's what we're going to offer him. They're going to say something to the effect of, we can't do anything until he's in the portal. When he's in the portal, we'll bring him in on a visit the next day. And then that word gets back to him. And, and I, I think that's why you see so many guys in that portal. They really don't understand how the world works. There's some, they show up in the portal and, and, and as soon as the guy gets in the portal, everybody's going to look at him. But if I don't know who he is, I don't have an in on him. That's, that's a tough sell. I'm not just going to call some kid from New Mexico and then try to bring him in. You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to get that done. But if that kid played in a summer league with our number one and loves what we do pitching development wise, well then boom, we got an in. We're already in the door, and I'm going to know he's in the portal before he's in the portal. Yeah. If, now, did you play – did you did you have the option of transferring when you were playing, or was that was the one-year sit-out rule already in play when you got to state? No, we could transfer and play. Um, Immediately? Yeah, because I, I yeah, remember – The Wild, the wild, wild West, which the days are back. You talk to your buddies over the summer, and, hey, man, such a school – you know, send me a couple gloves this summer, send me some gear, try to give me a leave, or – you know, so and so is leaving, and then when you got to campus every fall, you didn't know who was going to be there. You know, like right. <laughs> you know, so it made you as a player. You're like, you know, I better have a good summer, and I better show up in better shape, and better have a good fall. Um, it did. It created competition. How, and I obviously you're at a power five where you know in a in a destination school for a lot of people in the state. Um, Wilmington wasn't there yet. We were still building our program when I was playing. 
But I remember playing, and I'm not going to get too in the weeds on this because some of these people are still in the active coaching business. One of my one of my teammates at Wilmington played with me, and he was the player of the year in the league, and he had a really good year, and he ended up being a really good draft. Um, but about halfway through the year, one of our teammates who was at a Power 5 school, as I can, you can tell, I'm being careful how I d- dictate this, showed up with two boxes of shoes, a box of T-shirts and hats, and he hands it to, to my teammate from Wilmington and basically says, hey, man, they sent me this stuff. It doesn't fit. Aren't you a size whatever? Aren't you a <laughs> Yeah, just here. You got it. You know, and he's now he's decked out and freaking all this gear and he's looking at it. And, you know, then then the conversation starts coming. And, and he was a good dude. He wanted to play at Wilmington. He was part of kind of getting that program turned around, which is a good thing. But we saw it year after year after year. And I remember coaches used to take their vacation in the Cape. Nope. Uh, there were staffs. That's where they, and it was always, oh, it's just such a, it's such a beautiful area. We're just going to go check <laughs> on our guys. It's such a beautiful area. You know how many guys vacation in the Cape? Once the transfer world went, zero. <laughs> Everybody canceled that Cape vacation. Nobody, nobody went up there to vacation, uh, you know. But you start looking back on the Wild Wild West and how that was running. Those days are back. Now, coaches, most of the guys we know, ninety nine percent of them, are good dudes trying to do it by the rules, by the book. But you still have to toe that gray area. You know, if you find out that this to help your program becomes available, you got to figure out how do you can get in there before anybody else does without breaking the rule. Yeah. I think you said it, kid. You know, college guys or guys thinking about entering the portal. If somebody else wants you, they'll recruit you before you ever get in the portal. You're not going in there blind. And you know, I still think it translates the same way. The the same positions go off the board first. The yep. left-handed hitters go off the board first. You know, and there's you know certain things if you know, you happen to be a right, right first baseman with, with average power. It, it, you know, it may be hard for you to find find a spot for a while. Yeah, and if you're if you're a fan of this show and you're watching, and you're you're a fan of college baseball and you're looking at that as an aspiration, watch watch the better teams play. Watch an SEC series. Watch an ACC series. You got Clemson and South Carolina this weekend. Miami and Florida this weekend. Um, you know, some really big time kind of matchups. But what what I want you to watch, I want you to watch the lineups. When they're posted, facing a left-hander, it goes right, left, right, left, right, left, right, right. Facing a right-hander, it goes left, right, left, right, left, left, right, right. It, it's it, there's balance in the in the order. Even even left versus right, you don't see guys unless it's Kyle Freeland, who was at uh, Evansville, is pitching with the Rockies now, be with Team USA during a World Baseball Classic. Except for that dude, you don't stack all righties against the left-hander. You want balance. You want left, right, left, right, left, right, because you want that guy to have to work different ways to get different people out. Your left-handers need to put together positive at-bats. But to have that balance, think about the number of left-handed hitters you face in high school. You're, you're not seeing lineups with balance. You're seeing two or three left-handers in the lineup. So to find that balance at a higher-level program, how many left-handed hitters do we have to recruit? Where do we have to go to find them? Right-handed hitters are easy. And so that's why there's a priority. Same thing when we go to the bullpen. If you watch really high-level programs, what they are trying to do is they're trying to go on the weekend starters right, left, right, or left, right, left. When they go to the bullpen, if they start at a left-hander and they're just changing looks, it'll be a right-hander. You will have times where they will they will match up and they'll come back in with a slider guy. But if they're not matching up, they're changing arm angle, 
or they're changing looks, left-handed to right-handed. And to have that balance from a recruiting standpoint means there's left left-handed people, there's left left-handed throw, less left-handed throwers, less left-handed hitters. So those guys are going to go off the board first recruiting, transfer portal, junior college system, wherever. There's more of a priority for those guys. As we transfer down the line and we're trying to build our team, you know, Matt, you played on really good clubs. How many guys on your team at NC State were, were high school shortstops? Most of them. Most of them. And so we're, we're going to find really athletic guys that can hit, and then we're going to figure out where they play. So if I'm a right-handed hitting outfielder and I can only play the outfield, now I start I start getting bumped down. Just the pecking order. I have to have a tool that bumps me up. If I don't, I just have to wait. It doesn't mean I'm a bad player. It doesn't mean that you know the the ranking's wrong or the grade on me's wrong. It's just there's a priority to have balance in my order and in my bullpen. Yeah, I think you know when there's a lot of right-handed hitting outfielders I've, I've put a D1 grade on just on the tool set, but you you know they may never end up at a D1 or they may not out of high school just because of how rosters are built. And, you know, right. especially if, if you can't play center field, it makes it that much harder. Right. Yeah, and that's, you know, if you're a younger player or you're a coach and you're listening to this, you know, we start pitching holding guys as outfielders. Let's be very careful about that. Just because a guy can't catch a ground ball right now doesn't mean he can't catch a ground ball in three years. You know, it doesn't mean he has to play shortstop for you or second base for you, but can we figure out a way? Can he play first base? You know, I, I tell the story all the time. Our 2007 club at Charlotte was really good. And our starting first baseman may have been the best defensive first baseman that we definitely that we saw that year, maybe one of the best defensive first basemen I was ever around. He was an outfielder, you know, but he was really athletic and he had a chance to play center field. He just wasn't going to play center field for that club. To get him in the order, we knew pretty early on he's going to have to play first. That's that's one of the ways we can get him in there. And, boy, he was brutal the first two weeks in the fall. <laughs> then he was awful for the next two weeks. Then he wasn't very good. Then he was below average. Then he was average. And all of a sudden we get to February, March, April, and now he's one of the best defensive first basemen there is because he freaking worked his tail off at it. But we had an athletic guy who could make that adjustment. So we can get guys reps you know, and allow them to develop in a lot of different ways. But, and again, it comes back to, you know, am I looking for an outfielder or am I looking for a baseball player? What I really want is a hitter. Those yeah, are harder to find. Hitter. Hitter. <laughs> hitter. Hitter mixed in with some athletes and you'll be fine. <laughs> I know, I know we've had this, this, this topic has been asked for. I, I don't know that we got into everything everybody wants to to get into uh, about, but you know, you guys, as you're watching this comment below, uh, hit us up on Twitter, hit us up on Instagram, let us know if there's specific questions. There'll become a point. We'll probably do a mailbag on this show, but let us know if there's something specific we can talk about um, and answer directly. And, you know, if it's, it's directed at an individual player, we'll probably handle that in an email, but if it's in a wide scope of things that maybe we take for granted that really freshmen, sophomore juniors don't fully understand, you know, hit us up and let us know. We can definitely get on this show and talk about it um, and, and give our insights um, as, as to what we're seeing. Um, but having said that, Matt, let's let's transfer now into um, the high school season. You know, the best time of year here. And these guys are out playing now. And you've been out at games. I've been out at games. Um, let's start with wh- who's the best team that you've seen to this date. And again, we're filming this on Wednesday, so we've been on the road 
three, you know, two days. But who's the best team you've seen? I'd have to say Huff, yep. just with what they can run out on the mound. Um, they have some athleticism, and I think as most clubs, they'll get better defensively as the year goes. What did they run out on the mound night? You you saw them play against Lake Norman on on Monday. Uh, what what did yep. you see on the bump? Uh, Tyler Baird, um, you know, one of the top twenty twenty five arms in the country. Um, Ninety ninety one early got a got a two and a three in the first. Um, a lot of strikes, uh, breaking balls, not where it's been in the past and where it will be in a few weeks, but uh, pitched well, competed, and uh, then they run out James Nesta, who we took to future games a couple years ago. Yep. Um, dual sport guy. Dual sport, yeah. I think he's a four-star in football now. Uh, when we saw him, it was over the top, uh, more 12-6 breaking ball, and uh, he comes out and throws an inning on Monday night, and it's lower slot, sweepy breaking ball, so – I'm uh, really kind of a three-quarter slot from the video you took. And it was, that was – it's yeah. an interesting – especially for a guy that's had the success he has. And he's he's sprayed it at times. But you're talking about a guy that really only pitches for four or five months out of the year because he is heavily invested in football. Um, yeah. So that was an interesting change. I'm kind of interested to see how that process plays out over the next couple of weeks. But uh, He has athleticism to make it work. So we'll see what happens. Any, any hitters in their lineup, I think that's the one thing – that as we were going through our preseason, you know, talks in the Power 25, and we, hey, it may be tough to score runs against them, but we're not sure where they're going to get runs consistently. Was there were there any hitters, anything offensively that stood out for you with them, or um, obviously one look and, and you, I know they, they, I think they walked a bunch in the game you saw too. They did. Uh, Jackson Matthews, the freshman committed to Clemson, uh, we saw yep. him in preseason all state. He's uh, he's a threat in the middle of the order. He's got bat speed. He's comfortable especially for a young guy. And then uh, Jake Benert, he played center. He's athletic. I thought he had good swings. Uh, not a lot to show for it, but I, I do think he will hit this year. So to, to date for me, I've seen, I've seen Metrolina Christian, who is a fringy power 25 team for us. They threw um, Chase Kiker, a freshman. It was up to 87, mm-hmm. showed a, a breaking ball with some swing and miss potential. You never really know day-to-day what you're going to get out of freshmen, but it's a pretty good-looking freshman. Has a chance to really solidify that and give that that pitching staff some depth. Obviously, star power with Perry Hargett at short. Um, Will Brooks uh, is a middle-of-the-lineup type guy moving forward. Chance to, chance to hit with some authority. Um, you know, So I think they have a chance to score runs. It'll be interesting to see how good they are defensively once they settle with how they're going to play and then how that, that rotation lines up. Um, I saw on opening night, it's slipping my mind. Who did I see? I saw independent or Myers Park and East Mech. And Myers Park again is another club that's not in our power twenty-five right now. Probably will be when we when we revamp it. They ran out three quality arms. Um, Luke McGrath has, has made a little bit of a jump. James Madison commitment uh, bump ninety in the seventh. A little bit chilly. But it wasn't just that he was bumping 90. It was the way that fastball was playing. It was really jumping on hitters. Um, you know, high spin rate guy that can pitch up in the zone. Um, and 90 was playing, you know, significantly harder. All three of their guys showed feel for sliders, showed feel for, you know, two sides of the plate. Um, you know, so I think their pitching staff has a chance to to carry them a little bit. Offensively, the lineup looks like it has depth. They just need production. You know, and our guy's going to hit 260 or they're going to hit 320. Are they going to accept walks? Are they going to hit doubles? Um, you know, if they do those those things, then they're going to score a bunch of runs. And there's going to be some nights where they blow some people out. 
the question will be when they see really good pitching on a consistent basis, are they relaxed enough? Are they trusted what they're doing enough to consistently do that? Um, I, talking to Coach Four, he's really fired up about some of the changes they've made with their day-to-day and their batting practice and things like that, trying to get this group to take that next step. You know, because he and he's throwing stats at me. I think they lost T.C. Roberson last year in the state playoffs. They left 11 or 12 guys on base. You know, they're one double away at the right spot from blowing that game open and walking away and getting to the next next round. So the best team I've seen to this point, though, is Marvin Ridge. Um, they beat Audrey Kell. Audrey Kell did not throw their ace. They were holding him for later in the week. They threw a freshman, which I've seen two freshmen that are, that are going to make some noise. Um, he was Jack Leach. I'll make sure I've got that. Yep, Jack Leach, freshman right-handed pitcher. Um, but it was Marvin Ridge ran out three arms, three strike throwers. Closer was up to 90 on the back end. Uh, Nico Soul with two home runs. They, they have a chance to run. Um, they have a chance to hit for power. They're going to play good defense. Even Kyle Dobo's out. Um, I, I think they're going to they're going to play at a fairly high level. Um, you know, so that that's the best club I've seen. I don't know that necessarily rankings wise. I think Myers Park has to be ahead of them right now, but just in terms of what I saw matching up with what the roster is, they they were fun to watch last night. And again, um, all this stuff is is on the website. All the all the news, all the game updates, our, our daily scoreboards, all on the website. You can see the the videos. You can see the um, game breakdowns. You can see our scout blogs. How about so, how about the position players in in our twenty five and twenty six classes in North Carolina, just in this area? Like you saw Nico last night, I uh, saw Coy James. He hit a long home run to tie the game. Uh, Brady Marshall at Davy also Tennessee commit. Uh, that was my first our, our time seeing him. That that there's bat speed there, isn't there? Oh, he's kind of yeah. spread out in the box, but there was bat speed. I, I kind of like that one. It's uh, it, it's simple and. Uh, I mean, we we know Coy can play, and uh, Davin Whitaker, of you know, pro case guy for us. He had a good night, and uh, Davy's got some depth to their lineup. You know, they just uh, you know see how they if they can pitch it, they'll they'll be competitive. But their league is so tough with Reagan, East Forsyth, and West Forsyth that you know you you have to pitch it in that league to win. Well, the deal is getting out of the league. If you can get out of the league, it doesn't matter if you're the one, the two, or the three out of that league. If you can just get into the state tournament. You may not see a team that's as good as the rest of your league until the third round, you know, depending on how it's matched or, or until you play somebody in your league in the state tournament, which which happens yeah. a lot. You know, so I, I think that that'll be interesting to watch that group. And, and from a ranking standpoint from our end, we got to be careful with with dropping, you know, those area teams a little bit because they're going to beat up on each other. You know, nobody's yeah. going to run away from somebody in that league. They're all going to beat up on each other but it's good, good on good, you know? So yeah. our, our ability to kind of evaluate those teams and put them in the power 25 in the right slot, um, you know, probably require us to come out and watch them play a little bit more, which is always good when you're seeing good teams play. Well, if you're in the power 25, you're going to lose. I mean, it's everyone <laughs> by the first two nights of the season. So yeah, right you out of the shoot. Win. How about, how about Wake Forest? Right out of the shoot. Now they bounce back the next night with a good win. They threw two quality arms uh, with Cooper Allen. And Jimmy Lovelace, uh, I think eventually they may split those guys unless they're trying to close with Allen, um, you know, and then they'll try to figure it out. But they, they've got – I think it's one of the luxuries when you have a really good team. You can play around with some games early to figure out what fits us best and how are we going to match up and how are we going to game plan. 
you know, there'll come a point if, if they're in trouble, they'll just start stacking. Here's Cooper Allen. Here's Jimmy Lovelace. And they've got enough depth to close games after that, but they'll try to win games in the first five innings. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, Providence, Providence loss. I think Northwest Guilford loss. Uh, you know, it's, get in there, you're going to lose, so be ready for it. <laughs> yeah, the, again, one of the things, though, is they're all playing good clubs. You know, even if it's they a club are. that's not in the top top power 25, that, that power 25 could go to power 50, and there's not a huge jump between 25 and 50. You know, so I, I think this, the quality of baseball in the state's good. I think you mentioned a lot of the younger guys playing. One of the things I've seen with the younger guys, too, with Jack Leach, with Chase Kiker on the bump, I can remember being a freshman – and I was on the JV, but I got called up late for the state playoffs. And I didn't have, I didn't have my chest up. You know, I, I just, I'll get the bats. I'll get the helmet. I'll do the auxiliary stuff. You guys go play. I'll cheer you on. You know, you were in a little bit different position, you know, being a lot more advanced as a player, but you were counted on as a freshman to do some things. I'm seeing these guys, you know, Jack Leach got fired up and he's fist pumping he's talking He's not talking in a bad way to hit her, but he got a strikeout in a big situation last night, and there was a let's go. You know, I, I don't remember freshmen being that comfortable when I was playing, that they could compete that way. But I think because there's so many schools now in North Carolina, rosters have been spread thin a little bit. More and more freshmen are anticipating playing. Those guys are more ready for the, the situation. Yeah, too, I think coaches do a good job now of, it being one program, I think when I played, it was a little bit of varsity and JV and, you know, you had to earn respect then and you probably got beat up on a little bit as a freshman where now I think it's a little bit, you're, you're accepted more and expected a little more where, you know, us as a freshman, they were like, prove it, you know, stay down there. You know, we don't want anything to do with you and, uh, and more high schools, more players now spread out. So. Well, as much as with the coach, that's that's a great point. I, I think it can also go to, the seniors and, and, and being accepting of that. We talked about it um, in the past with, you know, clubs that make runs late have leadership and that leadership doesn't necessarily mean they're the best player, but it's guys accepting of a role, even if that role is outside of what they wanted the role to be. You know, I wanted to be the four hole. I wanted to be the number one. Well, you're not, there's a freshman that's, that's taking that job. Are you still willing to help him? Because you've still seen more than what he's seen. And I, I, I love this time of year with basketball, but you, you're starting to hear the, the the college basketball coaches get on this deal of, well, the freshmen aren't really freshmen anymore because they've played, you know, BS. They haven't been to a conference <laughs> tournament. They haven't been to an NCAA tournament. They haven't been to a Final Four. Everything they're doing is still new. And so until we've done it once before or we've seen it from the outside for multiple years – it's new to me, and there's going to come anxiety with that. And my older guys and my coaching staff can handle that. you know. And I think with both Metrolina Christian and Audrey Kell, with those two freshmen, I thought their seniors were doing a really great job with those guys. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's important. I mean, obviously, we've talked about it before. Teams that win have, you know, they have good chemistry, good relationships. And, you know, we got Corinth holders up there at number two. And, you know, part of the reason they're there is their lineup is older. and you know, they know what to expect. So when they get into some tight games, you feel confident they'll know how to win. Well, I'm excited to get out and watch more games. I'll be back out on Friday, Little Man's Birthdays on Saturday, and then kick it over, do it all again next week. So if you're a high school baseball fan, check out our website daily, um, daily scoreboard. We I think today we covered like 45 games with 
with notes, highlights, and stats on those games. Um, any games that any of our scouting staff get to, we have a game write-up. We'll have scout blogs. We'll have video. Um, and, of course, weekly we'll get on here with Matt, myself. We'll talk it up, chop it up, hit that subscribe button, comment below, hit the like button. Uh, give us some feedback, some of the things that you want us to talk about, some of the things you want to hear about, and we'll definitely dissect that. So, uh, Matt, I'm looking forward to the week, looking forward to the weekend, and uh, we'll get back together, do this again next week. Let's do it. All right. For Matt Payne, I'm Brandon Hall. This is the Prep Baseball Report of North Carolina Podcast. We'll see you next week.